Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. Also, for the first time in a while, I'm I'm joined by Nora, one of my cats, who, as soon as I sat down at my desk, has decided to curl up on top of me. So, hello, Nora. Seems appropriate. Always better to podcast with a cat present than one not present, I see. It's nice. You know, normally, they hang around a little bit, but it's pretty rare that... I'm, maybe it's the time of day we're recording, I guess. This is at, like, 1 p.m. instead of a more normal, like, 4-ish. That's when they start getting kind of, like, hangry at me, you know? Yeah, so, food patrol starts. Yeah, exactly. So th- they'll be, like, perched, staring at me, giving me the death stare, and not, not as content to just lay in my lap and chill out, you know? That makes sense. So, yeah, man, uh, we have some standard bannings. We have some Lord of the Rings preview season uh, at its height, I guess. We're at 160 out of 233. I, I didn't really want to talk about this crap anymore. I feel like we owe at least some sort of like top 10 show or something, but I I don't think I ever want to bring up any sort of fandom on the podcast again. Well, I've been to Hobbiton, Jerry, and it's one of the largest Lord of the Rings fans on the planet, having made that pilgrimage. Uh, I feel entirely qualified to speak on all of the lore present in this set. So. Yeah, I guess you've been indoctrinated at this point with uh, your you know many trips to New Zealand. So yeah, yeah. I've I've only been once, and I was not uh, not taken to Hobbiton. When did those movies come out? By the way, uh, the first set was like very early 2000s, like maybe actually okay. 2000 for the first one. Okay, yeah. So uh, I was there. I was there in two thousand nine or so. Two thousand. Okay, yeah. So it was probably up and running by that point. And yeah, uh, you know they've done some rebuilds since getting it back ready for the Hobbit movies after they closed it down the first time. They kind of okay. really interesting thing where like uh, there's a there's a giant tree over the Shire, which is here's some inside Lord of the Rings knowledge for you. Giant tree over the Shire, which is a very important part of like a lot of framing, and it it shows up in a lot of pictures of the Shire. Um, but obviously the Hobbit predates Lord of the Rings in middle earth time, but did not predate it in terms of filming. So they needed the tree to be smaller at that point in time. So they just rebuilt a tree, like hand built a completely fake tree to kind of loom over the Shire. And you would not be able to tell it was a fake tree because the level of detail they put into it, they did like, 10,000 hand stitched leaves or some nonsense that adorn the tree to make it look right. Do. Yeah. And it is, uh, it is very ridiculous. And that is my fun Hobbit fact for this podcast. Okay, cool. Uh, and first and only Hobbit fact, I hope on the podcast. Anyway, we'll see. maybe I can fit in a few, more. uh, standard bannings. You better not, uh, we got three cards banned, man. That's a lot. Uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Invoke Despair, and Reckoner Bankbuster. I am very pleased by this. I agree. I think sort of the right notes were hit. I will say that I wish they went further. And I don't know if this was just because there was a like a fake ban list that was circulating for a while. And I read it. And while not a particularly well-written fake ban list... The cards that were banned were actually like pretty good. I was pretty excited hey, about tell it. Tell like, me more. Yeah, I think it was uh, Wandering Emperor, I, I, and I didn't hear about this. So, oh, you didn't see it? Okay, yeah, it was circulating for a while. I, I don't have it in front of me right now, but it, it was just like a, generally what was present here. All these cards were on the list, but also uh, had some white cards as well. Stretched out, like just really covered a lot of bases to try and make sure some new cards. Uh, I think Atraxa was on the list as well, which um, you know. I, that's fine. Like if you want yeah, to do not that, shocking, I but yeah, I wouldn't have objected, but just like a really might be better. So who knows? You right. Know? But it was just like a really cool, like, okay, that actually we're going to go ahead and refresh the format. And that's what made it very believable to me. Um, and then yeah, this like list good rotation, but not rotation. Right. Yeah. And I, I thought that was a good approach to take. And then this list came out and it's good. Like these, these are certainly, if you said you have to ban three cards to shake up the format, these are probably the three I choose. Like, I don't object to them at all as being sort of the limiters and maybe just the best things you could do uh, in terms of just like really, oh, Plaza of Heroes was also on the list, which I thought was actually really cool. But in terms of just like really resetting the format, I think you 
could have gone a little bit further. And you could have set a tone for how aggressive these bands were going to be each time we hit this sort of one year mark where we do this quote unquote refresh. Um, so yeah, I have, I have mixed opinions about this. I, I think it's good. Maybe I think it could have been better, which is something I guess you could always say about any decision. See, I thought, I don't know why I thought this it's cause like, even if I break it down logically, it doesn't make any sense. But like my initial assumption was like, Oh, they'll just like ban fable and call it a day or whatever. And it's like, that probably doesn't do enough because there are a lot of underlying problems with the format. Mm-hmm. So this does make me happy. And then you're telling me, I, I don't know how close to legitimate that list was or where it came from or whatever, but I don't know that that band list is like kind of comical to me because it is effectively rotating the format without actually rotating, which at that point, why don't you just rotate? I don't get it. Yeah, it was it was like seven cards to rotate the format. And I understand what you're saying. It is rotating the actively played cards in the format. But what it does at that point is opens up a bunch of stuff that is further down the list in those sets, which will not be rotating. So you kind of get to refresh a different portion of the set than is currently being utilized, which was exciting to me. Yeah, I I don't know. It's just weird to me because they're if they're trying to I don't even know how much this matters to debate the merits of a fake BNR list or whatever, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so if their whole thing is like, we want to increase the time that you get with your standard investment only to then ban a sizable portion of that investment, then that kind of detracts from it, right? Because that's the sort of thing that uh, is, is inherent in like the problem of bannings to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like in theory, by banning cards, you unban a bunch of cards that we're not seeing play. So I get that, but it it does just kind of like ramp up the problems with banning cards in general anyway. So I don't know. Like, it, it would just be funny to go down that route to me, but I also think that at this point, they should sort of just be embracing that aspect of bans anyway. Yeah, I think you're already in a no-win situation. And once you reach that point you have to just commit to a plan right but my my surprise with it is just they've been inherently anti that so i would have been shocked if that were the case so then to even have like a fake ban list like that circulate and have it appear remotely plausible is kind of surprising to me yeah i i think one of the things going on with this particular announcement is that uh it was very much branded as sort of like a new approach, a refresh. And in those moments, sort of all bets are off. Like, I think you start to say, well, maybe they are completely refining the philosophy and and doing something different. And if anything's on the table, you can talk yourself into a lot of different things. And I, you know, there's a moment where I thought it was pretty legitimate. It, It made sense to me in terms of what a goal is, like something you could try and do with your, uh, first foray into this method of banning. But like I said, the more you sort of poked into it, the more it had a lot of holes in it. And well, this one is kind of a free roll for them, though, right? Because everyone thought that all of their stuff was rotating. I guess so. Right. So I mean, as as long as it's from the first year of cards. I just don't believe that there's that many people who are like, oh, no, my standard collection. Like they don't exist. Like you cannot convince me that is a real person. So I think it strictly matters in terms of uh, I, I think it's arena. sort of a pain point for arena players. I think that yeah. if you are playing arena on the reg, then there is some investment tied up there, especially if you're competing, you know? Yes. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I just don't know what the average uh, arena player looks like. I don't think it looks like the people I used to uh, associate with the platform, the kind of people I thought would be filling out the ranks of players. I'm not sure that's actually who it is at this point. I think it is a different player base than I had anticipated. Well, you know what, Brian? There's a historic qualifier this weekend. Uh, I guess I have to get familiar with those alchemy cards, right? Those are legal and historic. They sure are. I yeah. just crafted one of them. Oh, no, Gerald. What are you, what are you doing with your life? It's uh, the, the text does all fit on the card. 
There's no oh, that's bar required on this one. Is it the uh, there's there's one that keeps like crossing my feet as like the best card in alchemy. And it's, pro- it's probably that one. Wh- what's it called? Do you remember? No, it's it's a one BR three three. Yep, that's it. That's the one. It's like Crucius or something like that. That sounds correct. Yes. I don't, I don't know who or what that is. No. Oh, you know what? You just raised a point uh, in my head that I was thinking about this week. And I had a shocking revelation. It's it's Middle Earth related. Sorry. I know you're trying Dude, to Dude, come on. Back, but we're going back to it. I realized that if I were to ever work on magic again, and this is this is the largest if and really more of an impossibility than any actual uh, what would happen. But if I were to work on magic ever again, I think I would actually want to work on universes beyond stuff because this is actually more in line, like the type of design they're doing on this is more in line with what drew me to magic in the first place. You take a really solid, a really resonant, established idea and you find a way to represent it through the language of magic that's the thing i love about card design it's the thing that's most exciting to me and it's the thing that i feel like they just don't get to do because you know what's a gitrog monster what is uh mafia boss obnixilis like whatever that is it has no actual inherent meaning to me and i wouldn't know how to create that but when it comes to something like lord of the rings and they have an opportunity to tell kind of cool jokes and think about, you know, what would this, what would be reflected uh, in in this Middle Earth lore? Like, what's the best way to tell the story of Gandalf? What's the best way to tell the story of Gollum? And some of these things are hits, some are misses, but in terms of the work being done, I think it's way more exciting to me at this point in Magic's lifespan than just grinding out whatever nonsensical legend that's been fabricated out of thin air. That's fair. I could see that. Uh, Personally, I can't really relate to that because I feel like many of the IPs that I'm deep into are not super mainstream and therefore pretty unlikely to actually hit in a universes beyond. Sure. But if they were like whatever IP you're most into, it would become a universes beyond. Do you think that would be more exciting to you to work on than just like generic next magic set? Uh, I mean, I didn't I didn't work on many magic sets and like maybe you're getting some out of this, some of this out of your system working on like fab. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like I could still do a few more magic sets before I got bored and wanted to do like weird ass IP stuff. But okay. I, I, I agree with you in that. Like, I think that I am probably uniquely qualified to transcribe the language of some certain IPs into magic language. Yep. I think you'd have a lot more fun doing that than just like random th- Like, Maybe, but like I would also hate it the entire time. Like, why are we doing this? This is well, so silly, you know? Fair enough. That That's what was shocking to me about the revelation was like, you know, as much as I am sort of a little bit disgusted by universes beyond stuff, I do think it's probably the most fun you could have making magic cards at this point. Maybe. I mean, that that's why just, you know, for like decades, right, there were people yep. dumping like imager you know, just like loads and loads of like custom cards onto Reddit or whatever, you know? Oh yeah. Every IP you could ever think of has been turned into a custom magic card at some point. Yeah. And then that, that would circulate for a little bit and it would be over and done with until like a month later, the next one hit. And it's like, okay, we're doing this again. Cool. Yep. One, one person just dedicated like a year of their life to making these 20 cards. (laughs) They were having a good time, Gerald. And that's what matters. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, how this language is weird. So, okay, I'm just going to read this. Uh, moving forward, we're going to change the cadence with which we manage our formats, particularly standard. Our goal is to make most of our format changes once a year for greater consistency. This announcement will happen annually before fall previews begin. This will not only include standard, but also modern pioneer legacy and vintage. I thought we kind of already did the thing where we increased the consistency where there was like a three month check-in. Why is it now an annual check-in? Especially when, because it's not actually an annual check-in. There's I, also I, a check-in. I know a million which, other times, which then, you know, they go on to say like, Oh, if we're stuck with a bad format for a year, you know, things like Felidar guardian, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, okay, well then you're not the yearly check-in. You're not doing really it. Matter. Correct. 
I have I have no counterpoint. Often the way we present this podcast is you have an idea and I go, well, what if it was this idea? And then we bounce it back and forth. You are 100% correct. And I think it's a actually a big problem with this announcement, a huge, huge problem. Yeah, I was basically going to ask, like, what, what do you think about this? But it's just like, it's so weird to me. Uh, the goal is noble. Like, I understand what they're trying to accomplish. They, they just want you to feel safer in your standard cards. And they're doing that by trying to have it both ways. They're trying to say we only rotate once a year so you can totally feel safe. But also, we're going to check in every single set. But we're not going to do anything. Don't worry. It'll be fine. But as soon as you open that window, you have not effectively closed the window, obviously. Like, it, it just, it, if it is on the table, it is something that will always be part of the conversation. It'll be something that is always considered. Like, I, I think part of it, too, is wanting to shift away from the culture of the way these cards are talked about now is through the context of bands. Yeah, it it is. It is a really, really good goal and an important goal for the long-term health of standard. I just think they only half committed to the goal. Like what you actually have to do is go back to the way that standard used to be designed and just like the expectations of bands, they're not there. It's not going to happen. There has to be actual cataclysmic things going on with standard before you step into that degree. And I I think like keeping those check-ins and just distancing standard from it was actually the way to go. And then like basically what you had to hope for is that you had things in such a good place that you do not have to do this emergency type stuff for the next five years. (laughs) Hopefully like you get back to one of those long runs where it's just forever since a card has been banned in standard. And if you can get to that point and reset that expectation, then I think you're in a good place. But this announcement actually accomplishes none of that. It's it's just a complete blank. Yeah. They do they do mention that they don't want the specter of recent band talking over the format. You know, it's like I I get that. It is very much trying to change the culture and Yeah, but so, you had to you had to commit. You had you ma- just had to commit. How many times in the last dude, I don't know, like eight years or whatever, where it's like there's a format with a best deck, which is literally every format, right? Something has to yep. be the best. Sure and does. rather than actually putting in the work and finding solutions, people were just like, ah, oh, like when is this card getting banned or whatever? All the time. It's and awful. I, I will tell you it has permeated all of card gaming too. It's, it's not just magic. It's a problem that I am presently dealing with. And until you like take actual steps to reset that culture, it is not going to reset on its own. It is just how these things are talked about now. And I think this was a real opportunity for them to take a strong stance and shift against it. And I know like if you are a recent magic player, this is really hard to comprehend. Like if you started playing in the last, like you said, eight year period, you can't really envision a world where standard bands aren't on the table, but that is the world that we lived in for a very long time. It was just not expected. It was, uh, there was those Meriden bands where again, things were cataclysmically bad. They were, which was 2004, 2004. And, the, and then the, the next, next time up is, is Jace, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is like 2010, 2011. I, yeah. Maybe even a little later than that, but yeah, a good eight year run or so before we, are dealing with standard bands and then between jace and the next band also a pretty big gap so in those periods these things were absolute anomalies you did not expect them to happen and that's just those standard worlds you lived in and you adapted and you changed decks and sometimes it was a two deck format and you lived with that uh you know how long did we play the the mono black versus blue white format a very long time and i actually really enjoyed that format it was a lot of fun um but the context was different. And I think unless you are going to fully commit to that context again, you're just in the exact same spot you were prior to this shift in band philosophy. Yeah. The the problem with this to me is that I don't know who is buying it. The like, especially since the language in it is like, well, you know, like we, we can't just no, you can't, you can't buy it. We want, yeah. Right? You can't buy it. It's impossible to buy into it. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's funny to me. It's like, why even do it? You know, it's just like you're trying to speak with words before actions effectively. Yep. You know, it's like source, bro, trust me. Yeah, it's a, it's a real problem. And I, I do get it. I know why 
like it, it's scary to leave yourself without that safety valve. But if you want to do this, like this isn't this isn't really fair. This isn't actually what I'm suggesting, but you should make your standard processes better. You should devote more resources to testing standard. And I know like ultimately sure there's, I, I agree. And ultimately like there's still the opportunity for things to go wrong. I know that very, very well. And that's why I don't think this is the actual answer, but you do need to get yourself to a place of more confidence where you're just like, I think we can do this. I want to commit to this idea. I believe in the work we've done. I believe in some new guiding philosophy, be it guardrails or, uh, limitations on rate, wh whatever this guiding philosophy is, just be like, I believe we can do this with standard and get back to that kind of cadence we had, you know, 10 years ago, then you can refine the culture. You can't do it with an announcement like this. It's just going to fail. Yeah. That's, that's why I basically just feel like that portion should have been left out, I guess. I agree. I agree with you. But yeah, the rest of it is, like I said, is great. I'm very happy about this. I'm happy that they went a step further than just Fable. Um, I am kind of sad to see Bankbuster gone, but I get it. And there is a standard league that we will delve into once we're finished talking about this stuff. But uh, the the effect that having no Bankbuster around is definitely felt there. And mm -hmm. so I agree that it is correct, but there, there's just part of me where it's just like, it, it didn't hurt anyone, you know, it didn't do nothing wrong, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, it actually kind of did, you know, um, yeah. especially in a format where there would be no fable bank buster would just be like fable and too bank much buster. Cardboard. Too much yeah. Cardboard. Just gave you like, all the ways to spend your mana in the early game that you could possibly want and a bunch of card filtering and whatever. And it's like, yeah, you get rid of fable. That's part of the problem, but then we would still just have a bunch of bank buster decks. Right. Yeah. It's very funny that the bank buster problem is somewhat a repeat of the smuggler's copter problem. Like smuggler's copter yeah. was like aggro leaning a little bit, but ultimately that's not where smuggler's copter <laughs> ended up. Like it was just, Dude. My, my, my favorite thing to do is find ways to get copter into decks with like Seder Wayfinder or yep. whatever, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's ultimately where it settled. And I think Bankbuster did a lot of the same things uh, that Copter did. So let's let's commit to that lesson this time. Let's let's understand that one and know that's probably not a good path to go back down. Yeah, and it's good. I, I like this a lot. Like I said, uh Invoke Despair is another one where it's, it's kind of doing the Meat Hook Massacre thing where it sort of just invalidates like a whole swath of archetypes, which is not great. Yeah, there's a bunch of uh, like high effort goals you could pursue in standard if you wanted to. And none of them make sense while Invoke Despair is around. <laughs> like all of them just get hard punished. And even if you're doing like low effort goals, you're still getting punished. So I, I totally agree that Invoke Despair was just closing off way, way too much of the format. Yeah. So it is funny to me when you look at the, you know, total list of cards that have been banned in standard and it's like, you know, artifact lands. Okay. Yeah. Those, those basically tap for two in a lot of instances understandable okay jace the mind sculptor stoneforge mystic cool yep makes sense and then it just gets to like invoke despair and you're like what the hell right yeah like, yeah the context has changed a lot yeah the recent standard banning tune with ether that's a, that's another one where it's just like well, i guess things are different now divide by zero yep just the, like these comical cards but they they all do have the same thing in common where it's just like they are so good at shutting out certain archetypes. Uh, just like invalidation is a big part of this, right? Where it's like Fable, Bank Buster just invalidated a lot of other strategies because they didn't have that kind of like filtering and manipulation and consistency, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And things like Invoke shutting out a bunch of archetypes or Divide by Zero basically shutting off a bunch of archetypes too. It's just like, I, I get it, but those cards are definitely not topping like power level charts right they just happen to be an outlier in the format. yeah no no i i think like it, it's very hard to actually push power outliers at this point because everything's a power outlier so that's not actually the concern like 
Jace was problematic because it was so much better than anything else you could do. Stoneforge Mystic is so much better than anything else you can do in that surrounding format. And you just look at what like the control decks look like after those cards left. And that's all the proof you need of this fact. Like, and I played a bunch of control in that format after the the, the Jason Stoneforge bannings, and the cards were heinous. They were so so bad. Oh, it's awesome! You're scrapping with like Oblivion Rings and into the Royals and Jace Bellerin. Yeah, it was it was gross. It uh, ruled. P- Peace Strider made my deck for a while. Like, they were just bad cards all yeah. over the place. Um, and so that is the that is the context back when power was not as pushed as it is now not as sort of flat as it is now that's how bans happened nowadays i think they happen in two ways and these are the two things i would be searching very very hard for in every single uh you know playtesting session i did for upcoming standard it would be look for invalidation so a lot of like counter magic e type stuff or efficient answers those are the things that can invalidate things really hard so think very carefully about you know limiting your counter magic to certain things uh making sure it is not so cost efficient that it closes off the expenditure of mana lean really hard on those principles uh the other thing that comes up all the time is just consistency anything that lets you achieve your game plan over and over and over and like you said bank buster into fable you got to do whatever you wanted to from that point. You were going to play your game. And because Magic is such a high variance game, anything that cheats on that axis is going to almost always form the backbone of effective tournament strategies. That's the Attune problem. Like Attune just yes. made all your shit work perfectly. And those are the two things that I would devote the vast majority of my time to finding and pushing out of these sets if I wanted to try and actually achieve that goal of saying there will be no standard bands in the future. A lot of I don't it think too, the power. I don't think the power outliers matter. I really don't. No, everything is so powerful. Right. Right. You can't. It's not like oh, there's you know Jace and Primeval Titan, and then a bunch of stuff that is just not even close. Uh, it's just every every color combination has a bunch of like very very powerful cards, but yeah. then it becomes the enablers. And just like the synergy stuff or the card advantage stuff, maybe the removal at some some points where it's just like, okay, this this is the stuff that is like actually setting it apart. Yeah, I think you really have to redefine how you're looking uh, for problematic cards in the standard context. That's going to be the key to succeeding in this goal going forward. Yeah, I guess it is worth noting, though, too, that although divide by zero and invoke despair type stuff like this is the first time that cards like that are getting banned like you could have made compelling arguments for things like remand or even like Thoughtseize mm-hmm. back in the day mm-hmm. so it's it's not like this is a new problem necessarily and i think yeah, re- that, remand in particular is a really good call out like that that was a card that probably could have had the same consideration yeah and i i think that people talked about it back then but it was never seriously considered it was always like in a joking manner because it's like you never thought it was going to happen no because that was just not the culture then but i do think that had remand gotten banned the format would have been better as a whole and then i say this like as a firm and devoted remand enjoyer you know yeah like but there's always a, a balancing act to be done and yes that format maybe gets better for a period of time but what happens to the discourse and what happens to the ability to adapt to metagames and what happened. Like, Oh yeah. There's no. just so many ripples that would have come from that banning of remand. It would have changed everything going forward. And I actually like in retrospect, not banning remand was probably the right call in terms of making magic a successful competitive endeavor. But all the context is so different. It's so different with things like arena and uh, a culture, which, you know, plays patchable games on the regular and, it's it's really tough. Really, really tough. Yeah. Uh man, I had another point that I think oh, did it did I uh no, I think we got sidetracked. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say my thing and I hope it wasn't a thing that I said already, but uh part of the problem with some of these cards too, like divide by zero, invoke despair, is that they're main deckable. Mm. You know, normally when you have these things that are like very good against a specific archetype in order for them to be so narrowly pointed, they basically have to be sideboard cards. But these were like just good enough against the field as a whole 
or, you know, just like barely on the verge of playability, right? Where you could main deck a bunch of copies and not feel bad. And like, yeah, maybe you side them out in some spots or whatever, but the fact that you get to play the main deck and not be upset about it, especially when you have stuff like fable in your deck, right? It's like, you know, who cares whatever yeah. I have in my hand, I'm just going to filter it away anyway. But yep. uh, when, when you're talking about like trying to make soft counter magic instead of hard counter magic or whatever, like that's, that's basically what I think of like the disdainful stroke type of stuff where there are moments where you can play at main deck, but it's not a, always like, Oh, I just jam four. And then yep. these archetypes can't beat me. Yeah, a disdainful stroke, a masterful piece uh, of format building, I think, at this point in time, and often does its job really, really well. And I think we're like kind of towards the bottom of the point, but just one more thing that does come to mind when I'm thinking about why things are in the state they are, and like why these cards are able to make such a difference, is that we're not willing to let a deck just kill you on turn four anymore, which is like probably a good thing, honestly. I, I think like that is something we did need to get away from a little bit, just the ruthless efficiency of red decks and them keeping the format honest. Uh, but I do often think like, well, what if I could just play five one drops over my first few turns and have that be good enough? Like how, like you would never ever commit to the idea of playing a fable because you know, you're going to be facing down four creatures on that turn. And the two, two is not good enough to hold your pace. Like right. if that's the world we live in, then I think the uh, context is very different, but Again, I think like magic is probably a better game for not continuing to do that, but it's a new problem you have to address. Yeah, definitely. Uh, overall, good stuff. I like this. Yep. Net uh, positive for sure. Yeah. And uh, this, this deckless dump is very small. It is 12 decks. This is almost certainly the smallest <laughs> deck dump that we have covered on the show ever. But I do think that this, the like the signs look good, you know? Yeah. And it's not just from this either. This is from like, you know, watching people stream and like playing myself and everything where it's just like, okay, you know, this, this actually seems like a, a better format, like better in that there is more variety of archetypes that are being played. I do feel like, I don't know, format loses a lot of its identity, I suppose, but that's because a bunch of things have just been taken away. Yep. So it's just like the, the things that are left over don't strike me as things that would form like really positive, really strong bonds with people. But like maybe that maybe that'll play out differently, like when there are some tournaments or something like does yeah, any we'll of that see. make sense. Yeah, I understand what you're saying for sure. It's just like now now there's just like a bunch of decks with like cards and it's like, I don't know. I will say that we'll go through all of this, obviously, but just like quick pass through these 12 decks. It does feel like we were supposed to take out some white card. Like, I don't I don't know what the white card was supposed to be, but wow, are these cards just very, very good. And like, well, I I mean, that was that was kind of the point, right? Is it like white was supposed to be playable? It just kind of wasn't. Yeah, it's not, it's not like it didn't have good cards. Yeah, it was it was semi playable. It was like fine. But as we go through this list, we're just going to see powerful white card after powerful white card. And like, there's not one where I'd be like, oh, this is the card that is making it so white will be the main color in standard, which I, I do think will be the case, uh, but it's just sort of everything. There's just a lot of really good tools in white. Honestly, I think that's fine because white always ends up, you know, coming in at number four, number five. So uh, fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, uh, first deck is from smoking mirrors. Uh, this is a green, white enchantment based deck. And I, I think before the bands and like before looking at decks, the, the card that people were scared about was wedding announcement. So we'll do like a soft wedding announcement check. Yeah. In, in for all these, that was also on the fake ban list, by the way, wedding announcement. Of course. Yeah. Yep. And I don't know, just like a after seeing the decks, the decks that are being successful, it's like, well, you know, if wedding announcement doesn't, it's, if it's not there to fight these fable bank buster mid range piles, is it actually that good? And it's kind of seeming like, no. Yeah. So, uh, the first one does have two copies, uh, but again, this is like an enchantment deck trying to go kind of big. So uh, Generous Visitor, the one drop, Spirited Companion, Jukai Naturalist at two, and then Calyx Guided by Fate, the Aftermath card at three. Those are the creatures. And then four copies of Hollowed Haunting. And 
I don't know, audacity, ossification, teachings of the Kirin, three restoration of Iganja. I think that's another one that people are like, oh, this is like the next best thing after Fable or whatever. Correct. Correct. Uh, and, then, and then one steal from existence, one right of harmony. I think right of harmony is mostly nonsense, but one one is a, a fair inclusion. Uh, yeah, that's a card I certainly thought would do more during its time. And maybe it will. Maybe now it's it's supposed to shine a little bit. Uh, in this deck, I sort of agree with you. I just don't think it's kind of the game plan you're working towards. I do love that the restoration of Aganjo showed up in the very first list. Just, again, restating the Fable problem that I've said many times. Problem is somewhat with Fable. It was the best of the sagas, but also sagas as a whole just generate a lot of cardboard. And this deck, I mean, beyond the engine, which is very suited to create cardboard for you, the cards just do it too. And it is, again, impossible to think about ever running out of resources in a deck like this. So it seems powerful, seems extremely consistent now. And I understand why you'd want to play this. I see this uh, forest floating in the sideboard. I always love when I see a basic land because then I have to stop and think, okay, what are we doing with this basic land? Why do we want it? Are we just raising the curve? Are we concerned about something? Uh, no, but, just raising the curve. Yep, and that's good. I, that is a reasonable play in standard. So, Forest strikes me as kind of odd because there's only one overgrown farmland in the main deck. So it's like, I, well, Yeah, I assume it's probably because there's a two Nissa ascended animus in the sideboard and you're just trying to up the green count for that. But yeah, but I, I would still just be like, well, you know, I mean, maybe it might be nice to get like the extra white source in there. White kind source, of for maybe. Too, but yeah, yeah I maybe. guess, I guess, yeah, you do. You do actually just want legit forest for Nissa. So sure. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. This deck seems fine. It seems good. Uh, problems with this archetype are just getting your first few things killed and then, not having any sort of traction. Um, but this one is fairly low to the ground and even has stuff like teachings of the Kirin to get on board pretty early. Yeah. So I don't know. I, no, I actually I, like this build. I just think like wedding announcement, restoration of Aganjo, teachings of the Kirin, again, cardboard produced all over the place. And uh, you sort of mitigate that problem a little bit. Not to say it doesn't exist. It does. I think you're right. But you, you have some steps you can take against it. Uh, for Surge of Salvation in the sideboard also, and I mostly bring that up because the next deck from Fives has for Surge of Salvation main deck. Uh, This is mono white, basically beat downs. Uh, Curve stops at three, I guess. So I'm going to try and read in casting cost order here. So Recruitment Officer, Hopeful Eidolon. Those are the only one drops, yeah? Yep. Okay. And then I had two. We have Valiant Veteran, Resolute Reinforcements, Coppercoat Vanguard, and Thalia. Yes. Yep. Okay. And yep. then Adeline and Brutal Cathar at three. Two Ossification, four Surge of Salvation, 22 land, including four Mishra's Foundry. So eight ones, 16 twos, eight threes. I can't believe some of these cards are still legal. Like I, I played a paper standard tournament with Brutal Cathar in my deck. That card has been around for freaking ever at this point. And it's going to be around for another year, man. I guess so. Uh, that's that's pretty wild to me. Um, this looks like a deck that I could put together on Arena. And I have uh, I, I gave up a Marvel Snap recently. I sort of just put too many dollars in, wasn't enjoying myself. And so I've been looking for... Uh, something to do on the treadmill. Uh, it's, it's hard to play like actual games while you're you're doing treadmill stuff. I could see myself building this on Arena as I think I have a lot of these cards already. Uh, it's quite cheap and this deck looks, it looks fine. I think Copper Coat Vanguard is sort of the, uh, it's, it's quickly becoming the hero of Aftermath. This is probably yes. the best card uh, in the entire set in terms of its impact just everywhere. And maybe that was more predictable than we gave it credit for, given just how good humans are. So Yeah, I I, I like Opera Code Vanguard a lot. Um, I don't think this deck is like particularly cheap, where a lot of the the cards are rare. But yeah, I mean, if if you were drafting or if you had some constructed decks with like Brutal Cathar, Adeline or whatever, then yeah. Hopeful Initiate. Yeah, I think I just have the the 12 cards that kick off this deck. So I'm I'm basically good to go. Okay. Well, Valiant Veteran, uh, Thalia you probably have. Probably have Thalia's. Multiple sets, multiple formats. But like 
Mistress Foundry, I definitely don't have. No, no, I would not have that one. But Iganjo's, I got hella, hella copies of Iganjo. Uh, four wedding announcement in the sideboard. Uh, invasion of Gobacon. One <laughs> Phyrexian Vindicator, sure. No, That's, I'll, sk- I'll skip that one. That's fine. That, yeah, four Mistress Foundry with that one. I don't know about all that. Yeah, we'll just skip that. Uh, all right. You read off this next screen name. Chuchazino. Okay. Nailed it. Uh, this yeah. one is soldiers. Uh, invasion of Gobicon main. Some make disappears, destroy evil, protect the negotiators. How many one drops? I'm always curious about this. Cause I thought that was the big problem with this deck. So we have one Skrelv for recruitment officer. And that's it. That's I, it. I hate it. That's I, it. I hate it so much. Yeah, I, man, I really don't like like skipping that beginning stage. Now, I will say, with very powerful cards leaving the format, there is some room to slow down a little bit. Maybe you won't just get killed on the pure value axes that you were getting beat on before. Uh, I kind of don't believe that, though. Like, those are just words I'm saying. I'm not actually committing to them. And I... Would prefer to play the mono white version of this deck that we just talked about rather than this particular version. I guess the big draw here is uh, make disappear, protecting negotiators type stuff, but that's just not doing it for me. I'd rather just have the consistency of mono white, I think. Yeah, consistency, and I think that mono white is a pretty big favorite in the straight up mirror match. Sure. That's a good reason, too. So three decks down, three base white decks thus far. No uh, wedding announcements in this deck, though. Yeah, I, I guess. I'm looking for points of commonality and I, I just don't, I thought it was maybe going to be an invasion of Gobicon, but that is not true. That's not in the first uh, enchantment list. So there just really isn't the type of overlap you would expect to see. You're using very, very different cards here. I will say the soldier's deck has Takesha's welcome in the sideboard, which is kind of doing the wedding announcement thing. Yeah. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. It's the same thing with like, you know, Fable, Bankbuster, whatever. It's like if you ban one, well, okay, then the next one There's up 10 more of them. is the best, right? So, yeah, if you get rid of Wedding Announcement, well, okay, we still have Takesha's Welcome and uh, Restoration of Iganjo. So, yeah, there's just a million of those cards. Yep. Uh, Flower Bomb Tim, Esper Legends, couple copies of uh, Giada Font of Hope. That is the two drop one. Mm hmm. Uh, some steel serifs. Okay. I'm just like looking, looking for the angels. Nah. Nah, steel serif. That's it. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Just a two mana, two, two flyer. Okay. Maybe that's fine. Two Rona though. Ramp into your steel serif. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. It's odd to me, but I've definitely seen weirder versions of this deck. You know, this one is still like Thalia, Rafine, Shieldred, right? Sure. Yeah, still a very consistent core, uh, very powerful cards. I think that will cover uh, what may be a questionable choice in some other spots very, very nicely. So, And, you know, sideboard, no wedding announcement because you generally want Thalia and wedding announcement. Uh, against the same matchups. This one also mm-hmm. has two Invasion of Gobicon, two Surge of Salvation in the sideboard. Yeah, Surge of Salvation is the actual only card that has shown up in all of these thus far. Yeah, two uh, in the Soldier's deck too. Yep. All right. Uh, E-Quake. We got some Vampires. All right. So I messed around with Vampires a little bit uh when they're like first coming out but we got kind of like some new ones we got markov baron from aftermath convoke yeah uh lord and voldaren thrill seeker the backup to one that one is interesting to me because that seems pretty powerful yeah and a nice backdoor kill condition for sure getting a lot of reach into an archetype that really sort of struggled with that previously uh I don't know. These these power cards are very good. Like Florian was a card that impressed a lot in its early days. Uh, Henrika certainly seen play, been quite good in a lot of scenarios. So I, 
Like I believe in these cards individually. And it's the same thing. Like there's a power vacuum when you're not just getting outvalued by Invoke Despair. I do think you can consider stuff like this in good faith. I don't really have a sense of like what this is good against though. Like I don't know what this is targeting. And maybe there just is no format right now. So you just play good cards and then you let it get sorted out. That's a fine approach as far as I'm concerned. Oh, oh, here's an interesting card in the sideboard though. Vampire's Vengeance, which when you go and look at like what we've discussed thus far, I actually think the idea of like having a creature deck that has a one-sided sweeper, that might actually be the appeal here. No, that's definitely good. Okay, so like I knew I knew the white splash in this deck was for Edgar Charmed Groom, right? Yeah. One of the cards I skimmed over was Dusk Legion Duelist, which is another new card. Which mm. is the, the two mana 2-2 two, two that whenever a counter is put on it, draw a card, triggers only yeah. once a turn. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought okay. this card was pretty hot medium, but... I know you did. Yeah. But it's here. I, I still kind of feel that way. And I'm I'm just doing a quick rip through here. Uh, vampire, yeah, vampire Socialite, Socialite and sure. the backup card. Okay. It's kind of thin. But I guess like uh, the, I, I think you probably build your mana base in the exact same way whether you play this card or not. And it does seem like you're consistently hitting uh, what you're trying to get to. There is like the Voldaren Estate as well, which fixes your mana for this card. So I, I think if you're just playing that card... Well, Secluded Courtyard. Secluded too. Courtyard, yeah. I mean, like you can just basically do whatever you want with your mana cost. I think it's completely irrelevant. And in that case, it wouldn't shock me if this is just the best you drop to play in that spot. Maybe. I don't know. I strikes me as odd that this is, you know, sort of a, a go-wide aggro deck, right? Like, you have the Baron for Convoke, you have some Pylons for Convoke, and this is another deck that's only playing four one-drops. So, maybe you could play some more of those and fewer twos, because, I don't know, like, Socialite without a wide board is, like, kind of medium, too, so. Yeah, th- I think this deck is a little stickier though, and it, it does have some B plans, like things like Vampire's Vengeance. I can talk myself into it. It is a little bit more removal uh, robust, I would say. The reach is there. So there there are some more reasons for me to do something like this than just jam a bunch of one drops into my deck. I understand what we're doing here. No, no, no. I, I, I agree with everything that you're saying, but I think that all of those things improve like when when you have a, a couple extra one drops in your deck maybe, maybe just like what's the, what's the one drop you're looking for in this spot uh i think that there's an r2 one but there might be something better than that okay i don't i'm trying to think back to like the vampire deck that i was playing and i can't remember yeah but i i know that i was also like struggling with uh ones in that deck too i think that there was one that i was playing like a couple copies of like to get to nine or ten two drop or mm-hmm. nine or ten one drops but Got to do a little, a little scryfall search, you know. Yep. But yeah, the the advantage of of something like this is the fact that you are black and red, which gives you the ability to interact with other creature decks. So in theory, you should be able to kind of like win the heads up, which is sort of the opposite problem with soldiers, where the cards that they're splashing for are like very clunky counter spells, which are pretty yep. bad in creature mirrors. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it seems pretty good to target the white decks. Yeah. Uh, you know, these these creatures on their own, maybe they don't attack as block or attack or block as well as the mono white creatures, but in theory you should have, you know, like yeah, that stickiness and that interaction and stuff. And yeah, Vampire's Vengeance is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh next up we have J Bone Capone with the five color ramp deck that was pretty popular at the last PT. Topiary Stomper into Invasion of Zendikar into do whatever the hell you want, basically. Yeah, not a whole bunch of change here. Um, again, just like there's there's a hole. There's a hole in the middle of the format. You are not getting punished by the other mid-range decks as hard. You have some time to set up unless aggro decks come and keep you honest. I believe they will eventually. But if they're not doing that right away, you can do this. And also there's, there's good options here. Like I think... Archangel of Wrath is quite effective at playing defense and um, cleaning up problematic battlefields. And certainly you have your sweepers as well. So it's not like you're just cold to hard aggressive strategies. Uh, I think this deck is fine. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you have like Sunfalls and like Farewells and stuff too. So yeah, uh, those combined with Archangel of Wrath, like Archangel in particular seems pretty backbreaking against any of these aggro decks. Like, oh, for sure. The white deck can maybe get around it with uh, sizing or like Ward 1 type of stuff, but like Vampires, your stuff is just going to get picked off and they're going to gain a bunch of life and you're going to be really far behind, right? That's so, the problem, yep. Yeah, I would I would like to have an answer to that and it doesn't seem like there is one, really. No. No answer. Uh, this deck also has Howlpack Piper in the sideboard. Uh, let me do a little, little mouse over it, here. It's an Hopefully. Elvish Piper werewolf that can't be countered. Okay. Sure. So if, if you're expecting like high density of counter magic based yeah. control decks, then you can do that to like sneak in an Atraxa or something. Cool. Yeah, that's that's cool. The old Elvish Piper juke. Yeah, got him. Uh, Curtis Axel, Grick, nope, Demir, sorry. I'm used to whenever I see Hidetsugo and Kyrie. Right. To assume that it is Grixis. It is not. Uh, it's no, just, no, no need for red anymore. We got rid of Fable. Yeah, but there, there's like the expensive card that you like wanted to cast with it. No. Nah. But yeah, it's, it's just whatever value, you know, you got some invasion of almond cats to maybe copy this thing too. But yeah, Phyrexian Flesh Gorger, Shieldred, Tenacious Underdog, Graveyard Trespasser. Those are all four ofs. Two Ledger Shredder, three Hidetsugo, and then Cut Down, Go for the Throat, Make Disappear, a couple Soul Transfers stuff good cards are good that's that's the theme of this deck hope my cards are good uh hope they are enough seems fine seems fine like i said it's really gonna i feel like so much is weighing on these aggro decks right now to shape the format like how are they going to be built what are they going to punish are they going to find effective clocks are they going to be able to uh you know sort of catch up from the reset that children provides those are all questions still have to be answered even phyrexian flesh gorger does such a good job in these decks of just like making sure you have that window you have uh you have the time you need to get to your more powerful stuff and you know a lot of decks when you curve small flesh gorger into shieldred that's just going to be challenging to beat on its own to say nothing of if you are able to do a little bit of removal early on you know pop off with a, a cut down into a make disappear and then you do that curve you're just miles ahead at that point. It's very, very hard for these decks to catch up. Yeah, this doesn't seem that bad to me. I agree. It's it's like kind of mopey, but given what we have seen thus far, does not seem too bad. Some uh, mm-hmm. glistening deluges in the sideboard for those white decks. Cool. It seems like a good ad. Uh, Unagil, another green-white deck. Uh, this one with the mono-white Catilda main deck. And oh, Kami of Transients, cool. But otherwise, the same 16 creatures as before Spirited Companion, Generous Visitor, Jukai Naturalist, Calyx Guided by Fate, uh, no Hollowed Hauntings. So, yep. oh, yeah, even lower to the ground. I, I kind of like that, honestly. Like, Hollowed Hauntings seems like it's asking for a lot. Uh, it is and it isn't. I don't know. I, I think there is value in like you're doing these kind of like low to the ground synergy based cards but like if those get dealt with just having like a four drop to slam is is not that bad yeah it, it seems like the type of thing that you would like sideboard in your beatdown deck and this one does have two copies in the sideboard but sure i, I sure. do think that you know there's a time and a place to just like main deck that card okay we'll see if this format proves to be that uh as it is now i i sort of like how this deck can take the aggressive slant uh i i do quite like the lifelink it has available through Katilda, I think that could be a very valuable thing. Protection from vampires. Yeah, I guess that matters now. That's, <laughs> that's not what I was expecting, but yeah, it, it could matter. Get them. Um, yeah, I don't know. Stone brain in the sideboard. I don't know what we're doing with that. Mm, interesting. That's it. That's all I got. Feels like stone brain's not the right option, but. Yeah. yeah, do your thing. All right, Survivor Tree. This one is weird. Um, Got some Screlves, some Swooping Lookouts, Dub 1-2, Flying Vidge, Artifact yep. Creature, 
Got uh, some patchwork automatons. Hotshot mechanic. Surge engine. The blue artifact figure of destiny thing. Steel yeah. Seraph. Mm-hmm. Uh, invasion of Gobicon, sure. Um, Michiko's Reign of Truth. Yeah, that to me, that's the big one. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's why I we're doing this all card, this artifact stuff, right? Yeah, I think this card is legit. This card has, has always struck me as legit, always worth building around. And again, we were in a format that did not encourage this type of nonsense. But this is a, another saga, which I think is sort of weird in that it's less, you know, here's some pure cardboard, much like the other ones. No, it's just here's some damage. Here's some damage with like a, a good finisher tacked onto the back. And, you know, when your deck is just a bunch of stupid one drops, you're, you're pretty excited to see that. And I think I think the density is there for an archetype like this to really work pretty well. Uh, even like Patchwork Automaton in this deck is kind of a house. Like there's just a lot of good synergies here. And I, I think I believe that this deck can be good uh, into the right metagame. Invasion of Grobicon was a big pickup too. Like all these archetypes are so happy to just be able to uh, interact in some meaningful way and then invasion is going to be really easy to set up and get the full value from uh, with your Machoko's Reign of Truth. You just force your opponent into very problematic blocks. You pop it onto a swooping lookout because you do have evasion in your deck. Uh, Steel Seraph, another one. Like, you just have many, many ways to make sure these cards are getting through. Your invasions are going ahead and transforming. And then all of your nonsensical threats, they become real threats. And this is a nice little package, I think. Yeah, Invasion uh, is also probably the best card against Archangel of Wrath. Like, both sides are pretty effective mm-hmm. against it. Uh, yeah, true. And then this deck also has three copies of Sword of Forge and Frontier at the top end. So Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. That that That's the one that, like, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by. It's um, an artifact. I don't know. That it, it is. It gives you some staying power. Like, this to, this to me is like the hollowed haunting of this deck. Okay. Yeah, sure. That's fair. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you could play zero. You could play two. You could just play them all who knows like whatever it's fine uh, i like seeing a good fair sword out there just doing its thing yeah uh next deck from micrograms is another five color ramp deck that looks largely untouched from the pro tour i guess like to make disappear was that normal i don't remember i don't remember either this one also this has the, hit the 10 card different yeah how did this hit the 10 card different limit from the other uh five color ramp deck I don't know. Uh, also, Tyranax, like, Tyranax Rex. Oh. That's a good one, too. Uh, that is a good one. Uh, I thought that card would do more, but now maybe it's the time. Also, the shift to Atali in this particular list. I don't think the other one was playing Atali. No, they just had the 12. Yeah. Yeah, same it, same points. From yeah, there's the like four, four spells, it looks like, that are different, and then the lands. Okay. So, I don't know. We might argue. Yeah, whatever. That's all right, because this last deck looks exactly the same as another deck we saw, too. So, Yes and no. Uh, CRK, another mono-white deck. Uh, two Wandering Emperors. First time we're seeing that card, right? You may be right. Uh, this one also has some Anointed Peacekeepers. Uh, two Those are our first Wandering Emperors. You're, you're correct. Yeah, two Extraction Specialists, Intrepid Adversaries. Um, but yeah, making good use of Copper Coat Vanguard either way. Uh, yeah, a little, little spicier card choices, I think, but I like it. Yeah, seems completely fine. You know what I just realized that I'm missing here is, where's that Phyrexian's deck? Like, we, we were so excited by that deck during previous season. It seemed like it had a lot of very, very real tools, and I understand why it couldn't work in the last format. So maybe time to revisit that archetype. I think so. I mean... It is going to have a lot of the pros and cons of vampires, I think, where you are almost certainly going to be black based, which means you have ways to interact with, uh, you know, these white aggressive decks and that will hopefully serve you well. But at the same time, you're like this small ball kind of like creature beatdown deck. So you're just going to get beat up by Archangel of Wrath and sweepers if it comes down to that. So. I don't know. Does doesn't seem great. Maybe there's a little bit more to it. You know, maybe uh, there are ways to have some staying power, get some reach yeah, out of it. Play or surge of salvations and Skrelv's hives and get nice and wide and be a little stickier. And maybe 
Yeah. I think there's some options there. There are. I mean, it's early uh, and I, I know the, the hive mind is getting to work, but um, standard is just not where people's head is at right now. I mean, there's the pioneer RC this weekend. There's, like I said, historic on arena this weekend is like, what is standard that is coming up? You know, it's like people, if they're playing the format now are mostly just splashing around to have fun, I think. Yeah. And yet it's the format we chose to talk about here on the podcast this week. Cause it's cool. It's new. Look, I'm all for just doing whatever makes us happy at all points in time. That's completely fine with me. Yeah. But also, I mean, the deckless submission for, the Pioneer RC is going to be done and dusted. By oh, yeah. The time this yeah goes up and, and you should just be playing Lotus Field anyway. So why even bother? Yeah, exactly. Everyone already knows that, right? Yeah. This is going to be the first tournament uh, worldwide where the metagame is 100% of one deck. Yep. Wouldn't that be something? It would be something. We've, we've been pretty close at some times in the past, uh, but haven't quite gotten there yet. Yeah, I mean, if it's like a thousand people or whatever, and it's like, you know, 97% of, of one archetype. Consider that, would, that a win. That would kind of rule, actually. It'd be interesting. Maybe that's why we have those emergency ban windows, so we never hit that state. Just in case, you know? Yeah. Uh, overall, this looks good, though. I like this a lot. Um, banning those cards means that you get to extend the life of all the kind of like unplayable nonsense like vampires. Like, yeah, keep my vampires around. You know, who yeah. cares? Why not? Be able so, to queue up on arena with it. Everyone wins. Yeah. Uh anything else? Nope. What do you what are you uh what are you playing right now game wise? There's a, it's been a big week in releases, Gerald. I don't know if you know it's both Diablo four and Street Fighter Six week. Yeah, I'm I'm not playing Street Fighter Six. I may yeah. watch a little bit, or at least you know, kind of find out what's going on or whatever. But uh, D four is sort of up in the air for me because uh, I've I've basically just been like off Blizzard stuff for a while for you know reasons, and uh, that could potentially change if like I had a good group of people who wanted to play or whatever. Like I would, mm-hmm. I would do it for the social aspect, but I'm not going to just like play by myself. So, yep. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, I would like to play all these games and I don't really have time for any of them. So I'll just uh, continue to briefly dabble and that'll be my extent of engagement. So when, when you're working, yeah. do you have anything going on in the background? Uh, it depends. It depends specifically what I'm working on. Uh, like a lot of times when I'm, uh, just doing like raw design, like from scratch, I actually am not even at my, uh, desk. I just sort of walk around in circles around my property. I find that is the best way for me to just brainstorm. And then I come back in once I have my ideas more solidified, uh, and actually commit them to our, our development tool. So are you like writing stuff down on your phone while you're walking or you're just thinking nope, and you just, just remember thinking. it all? Yeah, just thinking. I would get I, back inside and be like, oh, crap, I, I lost it. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes I, I will just like actually like run back inside and like Janelle will stop me as I walk into the house and I'd be like, no, 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 nope, nope, not not stopping to talk. I, I got to make it to the computer. Um, Bring so. your phone with you, my dude. Get get a notes app you like. No, but there's something like I I just need to not do that. Like it actually is important that I just spend time in my head focused on. No, like there's a reason I get away from any type of note taking, write down stuff. Like I just want the ideas to gestate before they're anywhere near uh, being recorded. Yeah, you can do that. I'm saying walk and think. Don't be like playing on your phone while you do it. Just like have it there in case you need to write something down. That's all I'm saying. Nah, that's the danger zone. Phone's with me. I'm going to use it. Nah. You know how that goes. Like we're all hopelessly addicted to our phones. And then next thing I know, I'm scrolling through Twitter, starting an argument with someone I don't care about. So yeah. I, I mean, I, I just got to leave it inside. I get that. Uh, walking around outside, especially if it's, you know, like decent weather, like sun's out or whatever. Uh, I'm not on my phone. Because it's just harder and like I'll trip or whatever, you know, <laughs> that's fair. That's so, fair. yeah, uh, if I'm walking and maybe it's dark and there are, you know, like street lamps or something, then it's a different story because then like the lighting's pretty good. 
mm-hmm. you know, for you to be on your phone. And I've definitely done that. And I've definitely, you know, walked around at night in those conditions several times. So. Yeah, I do have a lot of lamps around my property. Uh, but generally I'm out during the day doing this type of stuff. So, But I know what you mean though, because like taking flights and being trapped and having access to internet, but it's bad internet. So just going online is frustrating. Uh, I find that I get some of my best work done because I'm sort of, you know, trapped in my own thoughts. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I totally understand. I'm just saying like, you know, keep it there. Even like, you know, turn off the Wi-Fi if you have to or whatever, but mm. just, I, I just don't want you to lose the good ideas. That's all. That is fair. Uh, and they're so rare that I need to really seize upon them and not, not let them go anywhere. Yeah. So bring your phone with you. Ideally don't use it, you know, but just have it there in case just play around it. That's all. You know, that I can get out sticks and just like carve messages in the ground. Could do that. Might take you a while. Yeah. Really kick it old school. Cool. Uh, well, next week I will let you know uh, how my historic adventures went and we can talk Pioneer, I guess. Sure. Well, yeah, we'll catch it on the RC, see what's going on there. And maybe we'll have some cool stuff to talk about. Doubt it, but me too. Game. Good luck.